0: Then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew and approved of you. Mm, I could preach right there. I'll try to behave. I'll try to behave. We are sending on one of the greatest victories in our nation right now. Mm. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew and approved of you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I separated and set you apart, consecrating you. And I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I want you to hear that verse and understand that although this is being spoken to Jeremiah, now the last portion may or may not pertain to you about being a prophet to the nations, but that word prophecy oftentimes is translated just being able to preach the word and expound the word with understanding. It's not always the the office of a prophet who speaks of futuristic things. Oftentimes prophetic, now in this case it is, but most of the time when the Lord speaks of prophecy, just in general in the body, it's because we can expound the truth that we know with understanding. So let's look at that one more time. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew and approved of you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I separated and set you apart consecrating you. For just a moment, I want to celebrate you. Because you are unique and uniquely designed by God, and he knew you before you were, and he, believe it or not, even before we draw our first breath outside of the womb, the assignment of our life has already been given to us. And we trudge through life feeling insignificant and unimportant and often marginalized in this life simply because we do not know God's heart towards us. So slap your neighbor a high five and say, Let's just celebrate you. Come on, let's celebrate you. You need to celebrate you. It's okay. It's not arrogant. I'm not talking about arrogance. Don't nobody in here grab that. But the fact that you're uniquely designed in God and called by God to be uniquely you makes you important in the kingdom. Can you say amen to that? Then said I, verse six, then said I, uh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am only a youth. Let me say to my young people, you have a destiny. And a purpose. And don't let anyone downplay your youth. Just because you're young doesn't mean you have got something to say for the Lord. One of the things I love here on a Sunday morning is all of our children come up here and they worship and they magnify God. Of course, they go back to class and they learn even, even things that, that help them. Uh, in their walk with Christ. But they're taught in here how to worship and magnify God. And the reason they do that is because Mr. Christian, as a child, was in camp and had a significant experience with God and was stifled by the leaders of that camp who stifled his expression and downplayed the experience that he had And made it out as if it it didn't matter and was insignificant. Which caused him to struggle for years feeling right in the house of God. And his heart says, no, no, no. Let these children have their place. Let these children be up here. Let these children understand that they're important to God. That when they drew a breath, they already had an assignment on their life. And our job is to lead them, guide them, direct them, and help them to get to that. Can you say amen to that? I got to get finished reading. But the Lord said to me, say not, I am only a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I shall send you and whatever I command you and you shall speak. I hate to say this, young folks, but God doesn't accept excuses. Verse 8. Be not afraid of them or their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. In other words, he's letting them know, if you're having a fear, I'm the answer to your fear. Verse 9, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Do you realize that that wasn't just Jeremiah alone, but for every every child that is born, God puts his finger on our mouth and he's waiting for us to receive our assignment in this life and to fulfill it. Look at this, verse 10. See, I have this day appointed you to the oversight of the nations and of the kingdoms to root out and to pull down To destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch or a shoot of an almond tree. The emblem of alertness and activity blossoming in late winter. How many knows? nothing, Nothing blossoms in late winter. Verse 12. Except through God. How many thinks that God in this late winter season can do something even greater than he's done in the former seasons before us? Ooh, this thing is packed full of stuff. Verse 12. Then he said to me, you have seen well, for I am alert and active and watching over my word to perform it. You see, God is letting Jeremiah know I am am your partner. Yes. So if I give you a word and put it in your mouth, I'm also going to be there to make sure when you release that word, it happens. Mm-hmm. That is my God. You see, the pressure isn't on you to win the world. The pressure on you is to speak to the world. Yeah. The pressure is on God for winning the world. We're just to be obedient and speak the truth. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. So look at this. We're almost done. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot and the face of it is tipped from the north and its mouth is about to pour forth on the south on Judah. Then the Lord said unto me out of the north, the evil, which the prophet has foretold as the result of national sin shall disclose itself. And break forth upon all the inhabitants of all the land. I will stop right there. I came to this scripture this morning, and really started putting this together at about eight o'clock this morning, because all night I'd sought the Lord. What, what, what would you have me to say? Thursday night, we had in here a family night where we just talked about where we are and the battles that have opened up over us here in the last few weeks in this city. But how many understand that an enemy doesn't want you to prosper? An enemy doesn't want you to gain ground. An enemy doesn't want you to be successful. And so when we started into the building project and all the things that are happening here at Passion Church, the enemy drew a target on us. So if you come to Passion Church, don't be surprised if you don't have a few days of struggle here and there and some thoughts that come at you and some darkness that wants to get on you and some blue moments and some sad moments. But understand this, if that comes to you, It's because the enemy has designed against you because you are a part of the body of Christ in this region. And if you're being attacked, let me tell you something. It means that you are being effective. The Enemy doesn't attack somebody who's not effective. He doesn't have to. The enemy doesn't attack somebody who doesn't have a genuine word to preach. He doesn't have to. But if you have the word of the Lord. If he's placed his finger upon your mouth and asked you to speak, when you speak, he joins you as in partnership to make sure that word is fulfilled. The first thing that we said when we opened the doors here was that we were to go into this region and bring a great awakening A revival to the church, a coming back like Jesus did with Israel. That was a coming back, a revival, what Jesus did in the earth. And then he took those who had been revived and handed them the church And said, now go into the world and make disciples. So the first thing is to call the church back to righteousness and health. The second thing for us to do is to go into our region and turn it upside down for the cause of Jesus. If you believe that, let him know it. Amen. So here's, I jotted down. Just a few things uh, that I wanted, wanted to bring out of this passage for you. And number one, you were called for a time such as this. Can you say amen? In fact, slap your neighbor a high five. Say you're in the right place at the right time. You're in the right place at the right time. God has a design on your life. The second thing, and I've already said it, I've already spent a little bit of time on it, so I won't spend a lot of time on it now. The second thing is that you were destined to be born in this generation. God didn't didn't need you in another time and place. He needed you in the here and the now. And if you understand by the signs of the times and the things that are going on around us, we are the generation that will see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the generation who are going to preach the world into a frenzy. We are the generation that's going to stand against the wiles of the enemy and use the word that God has put in our mouth to change the course of destiny, to change the course of society, to change the course course of the church of Jesus Christ. Mm. So you were destined before birth. Then you were established and equipped by God because he placed his word in your mouth. Understand when you speak the gospel, you're not speaking your idea. You're speaking God's idea. And if we preach his word, Pastor Terry, when we stand firm on what we know in the truth of God's word, when we release it, he partners with it. And when he partners with it, the words that you release may not seem like much, but when it, but how many understand that little is much in the hands of a mighty Savior? And he can take little and turn it into something massive. This morning, we were worshiping. We were just singing songs, right, minding our own business, but the Holy Spirit moved in through the words that were being released in a melodic tone and began to touch the hearts of people across this place. There's power in the word because the word, according to Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the 12th verse, is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It is something that we can take into battle that is so precision that it is like a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon and it cuts right to where it needs to cut it cuts out all of the unnecessary and brings us to a place of absolute establishment in the things to which God has us to speak to. Can you say amen? Amen. Now look at this. Mm. (laughs) Jeremiah, like many of us, try to use an excuse I remember I had mine. For years, the Lord was calling me to pastor, but I wanted to sing. I just wanted to sing for the Lord. Well, that's good. That's great. That's fine. But if the Lord called you before in your mother's womb to do a job, he's not going to be satisfied with you until you do the job. He's not going to leave you alone until you do the job. Why? Because you need to do the job and fulfill the thing that God has called you to do for your destiny to be complete, for you to feel whole in who you are. You uh I'm going to pick on Mr. Bobby Warner. You can drive a truck up and down the highway, and that's fine. You can make a lot of money. You can have money in your pocket, but it does not satisfy your soul. But when you answer the call of God and you come into the house of God and you raise your hands and say, God, without you, it's all futile. It's just money. It doesn't go too far. It buys a few things. I have a little bling, but but my soul is empty. But when you raise your hands and you cry out to him, so. Suddenly everything in your life changes and you find a purpose you didn't know and a reason for living. And when you get out of bed in the morning, it's not just to make another dollar. You jump out of bed with a destiny on your heart. You can't wait to share what you know with somebody else because you know whatever changed, you can change them as well. Mm. But we're all pretty good at trying to find an excuse as to why we can't do what it is God's called us to do. But I found one thing, Steve. The greatest thing I've discovered in my life is that when I just surrender and I stop fighting and I stop, I stop resisting, suddenly things start falling into line in my life and victories start happening and lives start changing I didn't come into the fullness. I could sing my tonsils out, but it's not the same as when I stand here on a Sunday morning, totally unprovoked, without it in my own heart or mind, but stand here magnifying him, trying to transition a church service into the next place when the Holy Spirit says to me, well, why are you holding them back? Let them come forward. Mm-hmm. and to see that, that many people responded because there was a need in their life. There's nothing more satisfying than that, knowing that the word that you release is the word of God, and when you release that word, it accomplishes, the, it accomplishes what you released it for. Mm. So as a youth, he tried to use excuse. But I love the way the Lord answered it in verse 8. He expelled the young man's fear by interjecting himself into the equation. You never, ever, ever minister alone. I could jump off the stage, but then you'd all have to rush me to the hospital so I won't. You never minister alone. You're never forsaken. You're never totally without. There have been times I've rushed into situations to speak the word of the Lord and felt like I was all alone because it was just me. But when I left, I knew somebody besides me was there because something happened and something changed. I've even had elevator rides that end in spiritual outcome. Just step on an elevator by the time you're done. The person on the other side has been touched by the power and the presence of God. I've walked through many hospital corridors and walked into rooms that felt hopeless only to stand there in the moment and bring the word of the Lord and watch as God transforms the situation. I've watched life flight helicopters fly in the hospitals when children that are in those helicopters have died and everyone thinks that it's over and we're going to plan funerals. But while standing in the hospital corridors, the doctors break through the doors and say, it's a miracle they're alive and they're cognitive. They haven't lost brain function. So if you're struggling with fear in your witness, let me remind you, you are not alone. You have the Lord Jesus Christ with you, and he's already placed his finger upon your mouth, and when he touches your mouth, he fills your mouth with his word, and when his word rolls up out of your spirit, and it is released through your mouth, he then catches it midair and causes it to be effective as it reaches the hearing of the hearer. Mm. So you have God's touch. I just said that in verse 9. You have God's touch and God's touch cannot be reversed. When God touches you, His callings and election is sure. You can run all your life, but the calling will always be there. You can start in God and mess up and come back and find out you didn't lose anything. The calling's still there. When God touches you, he touches you for life. When God touches you, he touches you for life, you were touched in the womb. You were born for greatness, you were born for destiny, you were born for purpose. Mm. Macy, you were born to be important in God. You were born to be important in this life. You're special. You're unique. You're uniquely designed. And God can but does not want to do his mission without you. That's how important you are. Can you receive that? Mmm. Number seven, you are equipped, you are equipped, you are equipped. Let me say it again. You are equipped. For the longest time in my life in ministry, I always felt less than, not as smart as, not as good as, not as eloquent as. I've heard some people that can turn a phrase. I've been in the room with, with people that are on television all over the nation, all over the world. I've been with people who stand on large platforms and preach to throngs of people. And I have sat around the round table with some of these minds and they're all speaking deep things in God. And I interject a thought and I feel like I'm three years old. I'm like, I like the blue color. That's how it feels when it rolls out of your mouth. Uh, None of you have ever been there, I know. Do you have a battle pencil I can do all with? Sometimes that's how you feel. Right? But can I tell you something? God doesn't measure my success by someone else. Amen. Amen. Because if you're called to reach 10 people in this lifetime. That's right. And you reach them. You've done everything in God's eyes that's important to the heart of God. And your reward will be just as good as the person who's been preaching to throngs of people. You will in no way stand in the kingdom and feel like I don't measure up. In the presence of the master When you stare into his eyes for the first time, the completion of who you are will be alive. Inadequacy will have escaped you in that moment, and you will know, I have arrived. The only reward I see in the book of Revelation is called the crown of life. Come on. I'm not saying there's not others, but that's the only one spoke of. And guess what? We all get one. So we're not going to arrive there second class. There are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God. If you believe that, slap your neighbor a high five and say, I knew you could do it. So you are equipped. There's many people in here that are talented. Give Steve something, he'll build something out of it. Give Anthony something and he'll do something electronic with it. Give Steve a guitar, he'll tear it apart, build it all back together then play it like crazy. <laughs> God has equipped every one of us. Give Jeff a gun. He'll tear it apart, rebuild it, put it all back together and then show it to you often. We all are uniquely designed. But the beauty of that is my gifting and your gifting works together. I can't build a gun, but I can buy a gun from Jeff. Huh? I can't build a barn, but I have a good friend, Steve, who's building me one. Come on. There's things I can't do, but then there's moments that I can interject into their lives. Something they need in the moment they need it most. And you are equipped. Now let me tell you what you're equipped for. You are equipped to root out. How many here have ever done a garden or doing a garden? How many are doing a garden? God bless you. I have the I don't even have a thumb when it comes to garden. <laughs> My garden is always overrun by weeds. I've never been good at gardening. But those of you who've gardened, you, you understand that if you don't attend the garden, the produce that you hope for will not produce because it will get choked out by all kinds of things that don't belong in the soil next to what? You're trying to raise. We're equipped to root out to. I don't know if that's good theology, but it's a good sound. To grab it. I love to hear. I love to pull a weed because I love to hear it going. As you're popping it from the ground. And it's doing everything to hold on. Well, we've been equipped To root out, number one, to root out personally, corporately, and then societally. I don't think that's a word, but I made it up. It was good. We are to root out sin and depravity because it's those weeds that choke out the planting of the Lord within us. We are to pluck up idolatry. We are to root up anger and and all of the debauchery that comes from a life apart from God. Why? Why because you were touched by God before you were born. He destined you before you were born. He didn't didn't allow you to be born so that you could live in the degradation of this world. He allowed you to be born so that you could reach your destiny and in doing so, because of the fall of Adam, we must uproot the things that so easily beset us. Can you say amen to that? So we're not only to root out in our own personal life and in the church setting, but in our world, in our nation, in our nation. No one said amen at all. Everybody's like, (gasps) we're to root out and then we're to. Pull down strongholds, mindsets. We are to destroy what Satan has established. So we're to root out, pull down strongholds and mindsets, and then destroy what Satan has established. Look around in your personal life what has been established that's not of God. Look around in the body of Christ what's been established that is not of God. Oh, now this is going to really mess you up. Look in your community what has been established that is not of God. Look at our nation in our state and then our nation. What has been established That is not of God. Those are the things that we put our attention to in prayer. Because you've been given the power by the word of God to pull it down and destroy it. Not you. You partnered with God. You do the confessing. You do the praying. You do the diligence. And God will attach to the words you release and help you. Do you know how long in this nation we prayed about uh, Roe versus Wade? 49 years of prayer. But we're standing today with a national victory. And we're just getting started. And we're just getting started. But it wouldn't have happened had people not stayed diligent in prayer. Because prayer with God moving in that prayer can change the hearts even of the people who hold the strings to the highest law in our land. There's some uprooting still to be done in America. There's some overturning to still happen in America. There's some destruction that still needs to happen in America, destroying the works of the enemy. Why did Jesus come? To destroy the works of the enemy. Why did he call you? So you could be his personal conduit into your world that he could destroy the works of the enemy through you. If you believe that, give him a shout. I'm almost through. And the last thing he called us to that you're equipped for, first is to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and then to overthrow This is what happened with Roe versus Wade. We've been given the power to overthrow principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. And when we corporately work together, one can put a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand. But when you get even just a remnant, we can exponentially make a major attack against the realms of darkness, Can you say amen to that? We're almost through. The last thing you've been equipped for is once we've pulled up, once we've destroyed, once we have overthrown, then God gives us the ability to plant and to build. It's not enough just to tear down something. You've got to replace it with something. We need to be covering this nation in prayer, and we need to be covering our Supreme Court justices in prayer. We need to be covering because the enemy's not happy. you figured that out, haven't you? The enemy's not happy, and he's targeting, and where's he targeting? The church. Why? Because he knows it's the church that brought it down. The true remnant. He's after the true remnant. He wants to silence us and shut us up. That's why some of you have been going through such hardships here in the last few months. Why? Because the enemy knew he was losing ground and he came after you because he knew you were the reason that it all happened. So God has given us the ability to build, to plant, and to establish God's intention here on the earth as it is in heaven. We should be walking in this life with the same abilities and laws and statutes that are in heaven. There shouldn't be any sick among us. I know because of the curse there is. I understand it's appointed unto man once to die. I'm not saying that we can reverse that. What I'm saying is that while I'm living for Christ, I ought to have a quality of life that doesn't diminish. I can't help getting older. My joints tell me every morning when I crawl out of bed. I don't even eat Rice Krispies anymore because I can't tell if it's me needing to go see the doctor or if it's my cereal. But the man on the inside is as vibrant as he's ever been. I'm as youthful as I could ever be. When I translate from this life to that life, I'll still be a youth. And I'm still a youth on the inside. I just don't play games with you anymore because you'll hurt me. I love the fact that in verse 12, it tells us that God watches over his word to perform it. And then in verse 13, he asks Jeremiah, what do you see? This is before Jeremiah has ever opened his mouth. He says, "What do you see?" He says, "I see judgment." The first thing he said was, "I saw I saw the blooming of the Lord out of season that you can do things that are extraordinary out of season, God." And then he says the second time, "I see judgment." The reason he saw the hand of God moving in an untimely fashion, in an untimely season, first is that is the intent of the heart of God. The second thing is what's coming by the actions of man. Because man lines up with the idolatries of this world, judgment comes. But if you and I can release the word, judgment can be stayed. And I'm just not ready to give up on America. I'm not ready to throw in the towel and say, no, let's just let, let's just let uh, ideologies and mindsets take it into I- idolatry to the place of no return. I'm ready to stand up and to fight for the nation that I live in. But my first and foremost job is to fight for the souls that are in this nation, souls that are in my region, in my area, who haven't come to the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And by winning them and encouraging the church and speaking life over the church, we can empower ourselves to the place that we make an impact on our nation. And God's beginning to turn things for us before our eyes. We're seeing things that we didn't think we'd ever see, but we're seeing God saying, I'm not done yet. I'm not through yet. That untimely thing that just happened in our nation that we're so excited and still rejoicing over is exactly what the Lord was speaking to Jeremiah here. He's saying, I can cause an almond tree to bud in the late part of winter when I need to. Let me, let me put it in a way that our youth pastor, Anthony, will understand it. Just at the end of the kick matching box when boxing match, when you're laying on the floor and they're going one, two, three, four, right at nine, boom, God moves. (laughs) Did you get that? All right, I'm picking, I'm just picking. He knows that, so I need to finish. Verse 14 let us in on the understanding of why judgment comes. Judgment comes because of national sin. National sin happens because of individual sin. National sin comes because of, of state sin. State sin happens because of municipal sin. Municipal sin happens because the church isn't where it belongs. Nobody wanted to hear that. But the church of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, laid down on the job. But no more. No more. Yes, Pastor Colleen, we're here to give our city, our region, our state, our nation, a wake up call. We're ready to ring the alarm and watch God in the late winter season overturn the judgment that has aimed our direction. Because if we do not arise to the occasion Just like what was spoken to Jeremiah, the judgment looms. It's already pointed. Do you know how many nations of the world would love to stop America? Pull us into their idolatry. Pull us into their sin. Pull us down to their economic and social status. Pull us down to a place where we no longer count on the stage. They want to take us out. And if America is to be saved, it will be saved through the remnant. At this moment in the calling of the life of Jeremiah, he felt like a lone wolf because he's young, he's a youth, and he's been called to the nations of Israel. Israel proper and Judah. And he already sees the judgment is about to pour out on Judah. And he spends his life warning, 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 warning. And I know there were times he felt alone. And I know there were times he felt like, where are you, God? And I know there were times as he was releasing the word of God, he was expecting a great miracle in the moment. But how many understand that when you release the word of God in a timely season, God will make that word come to life? The timing is not up to us. The timing is up to God. But what's up to us is to get engaged and get moving while it is time. Elijah demanded the divine reversal of national idolatry on Mount Carmel. It only took one man to stand up, even though God had 7,000 more. So understand this, we are not alone. We're not the only church who feels this way. We might be the only one in a region, I don't know that. I certainly don't know that that's even close to true. But even if we're the only one, we're one. And God can use just one. And I believe, ladies and gentlemen, at almost five minutes past, that it's time for America to have a Mount Carmel showdown. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your touch. We thank you for your encouragement. We thank you, Father, for your strength. And Father, those of us who've heard this message today, Father, are going to take it to heart. We're going to hold on to it. We're going to use it. We're going to preach it. We're going to pray it, Father. We understand that we were designed for such a time as this. And it is not a season for us to be silent, but a season for us to speak up. We're not here to war with the world. We're not here to to get in people's faces. We're here to pray and to preach and to tell and to witness the truth of Jesus Christ. And as we do, Father, as we call out for the miraculous God. We believe that souls will start turning in droves to the kingdom and running into the safety net of God. We thank you, Father, that our nation will be turned because the church is turning. Our heart is turning towards you. We're running back to our assignment. We're asking you, Father, the touch that you placed upon our mouth. Become our partner now in it as we speak your truth to our world. For, Father, we're ready for a Mount Carmel showdown. We're ready, Father, for America to come back to the fullness of its truth. We're ready for America to come back to its Judeo-Christian principles. We're ready for America as a whole, Father, to get back to the truth and to stand up for righteousness. And Father, we believe, we're, we're, just, we're just so into you enough to believe God that you, are, you have called us for such a time as this and that you will use us in this time. And we give you the honor the glory and the praise in Jesus name Amen